This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Life is full of skepticism and doubt. We, we, we want to know what the weather is going to be like, so we, we listen to the weather report and then we doubt it, right? It's not going to be like that. We go on to the, the news stations or social media and we see the different reports out there. We, we doubt it. We hear a politician, especially from the other party that we don't belong to, and we doubt it. We hear news about the coronavirus, either that it's ending sooner or it's getting worse or whatever it is, and and we just doubt it. It's no wonder why memes like that of the little boy go viral so quickly. We know that face, don't we? We, we've seen that face on our kids when we've told them broccoli's good for you. Right? They're like, doubt it. Right? Uh, we know that face. We've seen that face on ourselves when our kids try to explain away something that they've done. We doubt it. Do you, do you know where doubt all began? It began way back, almost in the very, very beginning when Satan came and ask God's kids, did God really say? And then there was doubt. Today, as Pastor Ben mentioned, we're continuing on in our series, Hope in the Darkness. And what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the, to the book of John, written by John, a follower, a disciple of Jesus. And we're going to learn about a guy that, uh, that we call Thomas. A lot of us who've been going to church for a, for a long time, we know this Thomas guy as, as doubting Thomas. And as we look at these words, what we're going to find is that there's hope even in the darkness of doubt. So as we go back to John chapter 20, the setting is going to be, it's going to start us off with Easter evening and then move us forward to a week later. Here are the words. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which just means the twin, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, "Uh, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. 
So go back to that, that first Easter evening in Jerusalem. The city was still buzzing with chaos and confusion after crucifixion Friday. For any number of people in the city of Jerusalem, it was like a relief, man. I mean, we're glad that, that Jesus is out of the way, or so they thought. Others, they're, they're sitting there trying to figure this stuff out. How can this be? How can this guy who taught with such authority, who brought grace and truth, how does that guy end up being crucified? This does not make sense at all. What's going on? For others... They were disappointed, sad, and feeling hopeless. It was into that chaos and that confusion and that sense of hopelessness that that hope appeared. Jesus came back to life. And maybe, maybe we ought to stop there just for a minute because what do you mean Jesus came back to life. Doubt it. That doesn't happen. Throughout the years, people have doubted that that Jesus actually rose from the dead. And I I think sometimes they doubt it because they really haven't thought about it. They've doubted it, but they haven't looked in to it. And so today, just for, just for a brief bit, we're going to look at just a couple of the evidences of Jesus' resurrection. See, there's this theory that said Jesus didn't rise from the dead because he actually never died in the first place. It's called the swoon theory. It says that, that Jesus was under so much pain, uh, so much duress that he just fainted and it looked like he died. He appeared to die. And then when they put him in the tomb, the, the coolness and the dampness of the tomb refreshed him and enabled him to pick up his spirits again and, and move on. And hey, you know what? That kind of thing has happened before. People have appeared to be dead only to be found out they were actually alive all the time. But you know, that's really not looking into the evidence. You see, as, as we go into the scriptures, what we find is, is Jesus uh, appears to be dead. They want to make sure he's dead. The Roman soldier rams a spear up his side. It pierces his pericardium, which is the sack around his heart. And then the scriptures tell us that blood and water came pouring down. I, I imagine that for years and years, people were going, what's the deal with this blood and water? Why did God have that recorded in the scriptures? Well, today, what we know from the medical community is that when there's this flow of blood and water, what that is, is a sign of death. And so for those who thought that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he merely fainted and they saw him around and that's what, well, that's, not really what happened, right? Another thing that, that people say when they say the, the resurrection didn't really happen, what happened was the disciples went late in the night and, and they went to the tomb and they stole Jesus' body from the tomb. The theory says that the Roman soldiers fell asleep while they were watching the tomb. You think about it, go back to Monday, Thursday night, Good Friday morning, 
And Jesus goes off to pray and Peter, James, and John, they, they fall asleep. Roman soldiers fell asleep. Well, keep in mind that the Roman soldiers that were guarding the tomb, likely there wasn't one, two, or three. There were probably upwards of 16 of them there. And they all fell asleep. And keep in mind, too, that the penalty for a Roman guard falling asleep while they were on duty was execution. Uh, there was no talk about it. It was one and you're done. Let's say they, they fell asleep, all 16 of them or so, and the disciples came and they got to this big rock that was in front of the tomb and they actually were able to move it without waking up any of those Roman soldiers. Or if they woke up the, the Roman soldiers that the disciples were able to overpower these guys. It's pretty absurd when you think about it. But even more important for our consideration is, is the disciples stole Jesus' body. Why would they die for a lie? See, history tells us that that all of the disciples, minus John, who was exiled into an island all by himself, that history tells that all the other disciples were martyred for their faith. Why would they die for a lie? I mean, we can see people dying for a lie if they thought it were true. We see that happening all the time. They die for something, but it was untrue. But if the disciples stole the body... And then, then they knew that he wasn't alive. Why would they die for that lie? Why would they die for a hidden dead body? Jesus appeared numerous times after his death. Sometimes to one person at a time, sometimes to a pair at a time, sometimes to a group, sometimes to, to over 500 in one crowd. Remember on Easter Sunday morning, Jesus appeared to Mary and then later that night to the disciples, except, except Thomas wasn't there on that first Easter night. Where was Thomas? Why wasn't he there? You know, we, we don't know for sure, but it's probably, you know, like what Pastor Ben, his great message last week, would people handle grief differently? Maybe that first Easter night, Thomas just needed to be by himself. And so he was. Whatever the case, when he meets up with the disciples again and, and the disciples tell him, it's true, what Mary said is true, Jesus is alive. Thomas is like, you guys are messed up. How can you say that? I doubt it. And they keep going after him. And he goes, hey, here's the deal. He says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Fast forward a, a week ahead and, and Thomas's shouts of doubt are hushed. When, this is what happens. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? 
Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas believes. You weren't in that room on that first Easter Sunday. Uh, you weren't in that, that room, that house, the, the next week when, when Thomas was with him. So do you have any doubts? If you have any doubts, if you've ever had any doubts, I, I want you to know that you get to be in this group of people called all believers of all time. Everybody has doubts at one point in time or another. Thomas isn't the only one. You can go through scripture and you can just see guy after guy, woman after woman having doubts at different times. I'll give you two examples this morning. First, John the Baptist, okay? John the Baptist, uh, Jesus said of John the Baptist that on earth there's no one greater than him. John the Baptist is the one that when Jesus was beginning his earthly ministry, John the Baptist pointed out Jesus and said, look, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What he was saying is, look, there's the Savior, there's the Messiah, there's the one we've been waiting for and looking for. There's our Savior from sin. John the Baptist is the guy who was able to baptize Jesus. Okay, He's the one that's with Jesus in the Jordan River. He's the one who hears God the Father speak, sees the Holy Spirit coming on Jesus. But then, when John the Baptist's circumstances change, he ends up getting arrested for telling the truth. He's in prison. His life's literally on the line. And he sends some people out to Jesus and, and has them ask, are, are you the one? Are, are you the Savior, or should we look for someone else? We doubt it. Another example is of a man in Mark chapter 9. This man was a father. He had a son whom he dearly loved, and his son was demon-possessed. We don't know all about that, but it was just painful. It was horrible. It was breaking his father's heart. His father loved his boy so much, and his father went to Jesus and said, Teacher, if you are able to heal him. And Jesus says, If? <laughs> if? He said, If? Everything is possible if you believe. And the man's response is, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. You see, if, if you start believing that proof of your faith is that you don't have any doubts, your faith will fall apart. We have doubts even when we don't want to have doubts. When I was in campus ministry, uh, every year it happened a bunch of times throughout the year. A, a student would come in and go, I, I don't know if I believe. Do I just believe because my parents believe? 
Maybe for some of us, we're like that, that father. We say, I, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I mean, maybe, you know, what? in some areas of our life, we just have this strong, secure faith. We're completely confident. And then in other areas, we're really weak. For example, maybe some of us here, we're, we're just going, you know, I, heaven's guaranteed. I, I know it. I'm not worried about heaven at all. I know I'm going to live with God forever in heaven. It's going to be great. But we're really worried and concerned about the day-to-day, the finances, the relationship, the health. Lord, I, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. We doubt. We go... Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to the one I love? Where was God when? Or when things turn out the way that, that different than the way we think they should, then we doubt. Did you ever notice that we don't doubt ourselves in that point in time? We just doubt God. Doubt comes in. When we're impatient, it reveals that we doubt God's perfect timing. When we just can't get over the the feelings of guilt, we're doubting God's full and free forgiveness. When we feel like we're inadequate, we're, we're doubting God's power. When we don't take time to pray, what we're really saying, at least to some degree, is God, I don't really think you care or that you can do anything about it, that you listen to me. See, sometimes like the, the disciples of old, we, we run into some issues of doubt when we forget what God says in his word. See, for the disciples, Jesus told them, I'm gonna rise three days later. The enemies of Jesus remembered that, but not his followers. And so it it led them into a whole lot of doubt and frustration. And the same thing can be true for you and me. If, If we don't remember, we forget, or if we don't know what God says, it can lead us into doubt. Remember that very first question in the Bible, Satan? Did God really say and, and if we don't know what God says, you know, then we're, we're open up to what the world might say to what Satan might say. You know, if, if you doubt something, better check that. Who's bringing doubt? It's not God. Right? See, doubt and God are, are, are completely different. The way they sound. Doubt says, uh, I've gone too far. God says, I'm with you where you are. Doubt says, I can never come back. God says, I'm with you where you're at. Doubt says, I'm different. God says, you're a dearly loved child of mine. Doubt says, God doesn't care. God says, I understand absolutely everything you're going through and I'm with you. Sometimes we have doubts because we don't want something to be true that is. 
Sometimes we have doubts because God's grace is so much bigger than we are, it's hard to fathom. Humanly speaking, we're gonna have doubts because we're fallen, sinful human beings. We aren't God. Humanly speaking, it's impossible for us to trust God fully in every situation. But you know what? We, we don't have to stay stuck. Because God is with us and God still loves us, even in our doubts. When you have doubts, the, the first thing to do is go to God and just admit your doubt. Right? Just like that father did. Lord, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Going through a tough circumstance, Lord, I know you have a plan for me. I know it's good, but I, I'm just not seeing it. Help me. Lord, I know that your grace is sufficient. It's really hazy right now. Lord, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Maybe some of you know this, this song called Raise a Hallelujah. The, the setting behind this song, the, the circumstance behind it is that there's a young boy, maybe like two years old or something. He is deathly sick, literally deathly sick. The doctors say, we don't think he's going to see the morning. People have been praying and praying. And, and the worship leader that ended up writing this song, you know, he, he you know, heard this news. They don't think he's going to make it through the night. And he just said, God, I don't understand the circumstance. I don't get it, but I'm going to trust you. No matter what happens, I'm going to trust you. And so he wrote the song, Raise a Hallelujah, that says, Raise a Hallelujah, raise a praise, right? Raise a Hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I, I don't understand, but I know you're better. I'm going to raise a Hallelujah louder than the unbelief. Second thing when you have doubts is go into God's word and see his promises. Remember what John wrote? He said, but, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, Christianity involves believing and believing is trusting in something you don't see. Hebrews chapter 11 defines faith this way. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now keep in mind though, that doesn't mean that Christianity is blind faith. Oh, you and I haven't seen Jesus, uh, but Thomas did. You and I haven't seen Jesus, but John did, and he wrote about it so that we might believe. If you're in a swirl of doubt right now, don't let feelings of guilt overwhelm you. Just turn your questions to God. 
God is not blown away by your lack of omniscience. He's here for you. And how you view it is how you'll go through it. See, if you, you think your circumstance is, is really big and, and it's really hard and difficult and, but, and God's really small, how you view it is how you'll go through it. But even if your circumstance is big, know that God is way, way, way bigger and how you view it is how you walk through it. See, sometimes we just need to be honest, right? Sometimes we, we maybe have this feeling like, God, I, I don't feel that I'm close to you. It might be true. You don't feel close to him, but God is close to you. He's never left your side. God sees all of our doubts, all of our falls, all of our fails, all of our weaknesses, all of our fears. He's seen us at the very bottom of the pit. And he still loves us. Thomas's life was humbled by God's grace when he saw you see, at first, Thomas wanted to see Jesus' wounds as proof of power resurrection. But when Thomas saw Jesus' wounds, what he saw was the power of God's unconditional love. For him and for you. You see, Jesus didn't merely rise from the dead. He rose from the dead for you so that you could have hope even in times of doubt. Let's pray. Lord God has Thomas was with his disciples that second Sunday after Easter. And he came in there and he said, peace be with you. And your peace, Lord, come into our lives. Help us to see you are in our lives, no matter where we're at. And you offer yourself, you offer peace beyond all understanding. Lord God, we thank you for bringing peace and hope, even in the darkness of doubt. Thank you that absolutely nothing can separate us from your love. For you lived and died and you live again with us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.